Section 6, Aids to Forensic Medicine and Toxicology. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Jeannie Whitfield. Aids to Forensic Medicine and Toxicology by W. G. Aitchison Robertson. Section 6, Pregnancy through Cause of Death in the Fetus. Chapter 23, Pregnancy. The signs of the existence of pregnancy are of two kinds, uncertain and certain, or maternal and fetal. Amongst the former class are included cessation of menstruation, which may occur without pregnancy, morning vomiting, salivation, enlargement of the breast or of the abdomen, quickening. It must be borne in mind that every woman with a big abdomen is not necessarily pregnant. The tests which afford conclusive evidence of the existence of a fetus in uterus are allotment, the uterine souffle, intermittent uterine contractions fetal movements and above all the pulsation of the fetal heart the uterine souffle is synchronous with the maternal pulse the fetal heart is not being about one hundred twenty beats per minute evidence of pregnancy may also be afforded by the discharge from the uterus of an early ovum of molds hydatids etc diseases of the uterus and ovarian dropsy may be mistaken for pregnancy careful examination is necessary to determine the nature of the condition present. Pregnancy may be pleaded in bar of immediate capital punishment, in which case the woman must be shown to be quick with child. A woman may also plead pregnancy to delay her trial in Scotland, and both in England and Scotland in civil cases, to produce a successor to estates, to increase damages for seduction, in compensation cases where a husband has been killed, to obtain increased damages, etc. A woman may become pregnant within a month of her last delivery. In cases of rape and suspected pregnancy, it must be borne in mind that a medical man who examines a woman under any circumstances against her will renders himself liable to heavy damages, and that the law will not support him in so doing. If, on being requested to permit an examination, the woman refuse, such refusal may go against her, but of this she is the best judge. The duty of the medical man ends on making the suggestion. Chapter 23. Delivery. The signs of recent delivery are as follows. The face is pale, with dark circles around the eyes. The pulse quickened. The skin soft, warm, and covered with a peculiar sweat. The breast full, tense, and knotty. The abdomen distended its integuments relaxed with irregular light pink streaks on the lower part the labia and vagina show signs of distension and injury for the first three or four days there is a discharge from the uterus more or less sanguinous in character consisting of blood mucus epithelium and shreds of membrane during the next four or five days it becomes a dirty green color and in a few days more of a yellowish milky mucus character continuing for two or three weeks the change in character of the lochial discharge is due to the quantity of blood decreasing and its place being taken by fatty granules and leukocytes. The os uteri is soft, patuous, and its edges are torn. The uterus may be felt for two or three hours above the pubis as a hard, round ball, regaining its normal size in about eight weeks after delivery. Most of these signs disappear about the tenth day, after which it becomes impossible to fix the date of delivery. In the dead, the external parts have the same appearance as given above. The uterus will vary in appearance according to the time elapsed since delivery. 
If death occurred immediately after delivery, the uterus will be wide open, about 9 or 10 inches long, with clots of blood inside, and the inner surface lined by decidua. The signs of a previous delivery consist in silvery streaks in the skin of the abdomen, which, however, may be due to distension from other causes, similar marks on the breast, circular and jagged condition of the os uteri, the virgin os being oval and smooth, marks of rupture of the perineum or fourchette, absence of the vaginal rugae, dark-colored areola around the nipples, etc., the difference between the virgin corpus luteum and that of the recent pregnancy is not so marked as to justify a confident use of it for medico-legal purposes. Chapter 25. Feticide or Criminal Abortion This consists in giving to any woman, or causing to be taken by her, with intent to procure her miscarriage, any poison or other noxious thing, or using for the same purpose any instruments or other means whatsoever. It is a felony to procure or attempt to procure the miscarriage of a woman, whether she be pregnant or not, and it is a felony for the woman, if pregnant, to attempt to procure her own miscarriage. It is a misdemeanor for any person or persons to procure drugs or instruments for a like purpose. It is not necessary that the woman be quick with child. The offense is the intent to procure the miscarriage of any woman, whether she be or be not with child when from any cause it is necessary to procure abortion. A medical man should do so only after consulting with a brother practitioner. Even in these cases there is no exemption legally. Any medical man who gives even the most harmless medicine when he suspects the possibility of pregnancy may render himself liable to grave suspicion should the woman abort. In medicine, an abortion is said to occur when the fetus is expelled before the sixth month. After that, it is premature birth. In law, however, any expulsion of the contents of the uterus before the full time is an abortion or miscarriage. In deciding whether any substance expelled from the uterus is really a fetus or a mole, and therefore the result of conception or the coat of the uterus, and unconnected with pregnancy, the examination of the substances expelled must be carefully made. Moles are blighted fetuses. An examination of the woman will be necessary, though it is not easy during the early months of pregnancy, and especially in those who have born children, to say whether abortion has taken place or not. The history must be inquired into. The regular or exceptional use of drugs to promote menstruation is important, for in the former case no criminal intent may exist, although pregnancy be present. The state of the breast, the hymen, and the os uteri should all be carefully examined, putting a few apparently unimportant questions as to the frequent use of purgatives, the presence or absence of constipation, will often assist the diagnosis as showing that the woman has acted in an unusual manner. Abortion may be procured by the introduction of instruments, by falls, violent exercise, blows on the abdomen, etc. In the hands of ignorant persons, the use of instruments sounds boogies, skewers, etc., is attended with great danger. Perforation of the vaginal walls, bladder, cervix, or uterus may follow their use. Septic pelvic peritonitis may ensue, and the woman may lose her life. The person who has employed such means for inducing abortion is liable to be charged with the crime of murder. There is no evidence to show that ergot, savin, bitter apple, pennyroyal, or any other drug administered internally will cause a woman to abort, except when taken in such large doses that actual poisoning results, with inflammation of the contents of the true pelvis, 
In such cases, reflex uterine contractions may be set up and abortion may follow. Diachylon pills are largely employed to induce abortion, and very often the woman taking them suffers severely from lead poisoning. Chapter 26. Infanticide. Infanticide, or the murder of a newborn child, is not treated as a specific crime, but is tried by the same rules as in cases of felonious homicide. The term is applied technically to those cases in which the mother kills her child at or soon after its birth. She is often in such a condition of mental anxiety as not to be responsible for her actions. It is usually committed with the object of concealing delivery and to hide the fact that the girl has, in popular language, strayed from the paths of virtue. The child must have had a separate existence. To constitute live birth, the child must have been alive after its body was entirely born, that is, entirely outside the maternal passages, and it must have had an independent circulation, though this does not imply the severance of the umbilical cord. Every child is held in law to be born dead until it has been shown to have been born alive. Killing a child in the act of birth, and before it is fully born, is not infanticide. But if before birth injuries are inflicted which result in death after birth, it is murder. Medical evidence will be called to show that the child was born alive. The methods of death usually employed are 1. Suffocation by the hand or a cloth. 2. Strangulation with the hands, by tape or ribbon, or by the umbilical cord itself. 3. Blows on the head, or dashing the child against the wall. 4. Drowning, by putting it in the privy or in a bucket of water. 5. Omission, by neglecting to do what is absolutely necessary for the newly born child. That is, not separating the cord, allowing it to lie under the bedclothes and be suffocated. With regard to the question of the maturity of a child, the differences between a child of six or seven months and one at full term may be stated as follows. Between the sixth and seventh month, length of the child 10 to 14 inches. That is, the length of the child after the fifth month is about double the lunar months. Weight, 1 to 3 pounds. Skin, dusky red, covered with downy hair, laguno, and sebaceous matter. Membrana pupillaris disappearing. Nails not reaching the ends of the fingers. Meconium at upper end of the large intestine. Testes near the kidneys. No appearance of convolutions in the brain. Points of ossification in four divisions of the sternum. At nine months, length of the child is 18 to 22 inches, weight 7 to 8 pounds, skin rosy, laguna only about the shoulders, sebaceous matter on the body, hair on head about an inch long, testes past inguinal ring, clitoris covered by the labia, membrana pupillaris disappeared, nails reached to the ends of fingers, meconium at termination of large intestine, points of ossification in center of cartilage at lower end of femur, about one one-half to two and one-half lines in diameter, umbilicus midway between the insiform cartilage and pubis. Owing to the difficulty of proving the crime of infanticide has been committed, the woman may in England be tried for concealment of birth, and in Scotland for concealment of pregnancy. If she conceal her pregnancy during the whole time and fail to call for assistance in birth, either of these charges would only be brought against a woman who had obviously been pregnant, and now the child is missing, or its dead body has been found. It is expected that every pregnant woman should make provision for the child to be born, and so should have talked about it, or have made clothes, etc., for it. 
The punishment for concealment is imprisonment for any term not exceeding two years. The charge of concealment is very often alternative to infanticide. To substantiate the charge, however, it must be proved that there had been a secret disposition of the dead body of the infant, as well as an endeavor to conceal its birth. A woman may be delivered of a child unconsciously, for the contractile power of the womb is independent of volition. Under an anesthetic, the uterus acts as energetically as if the patient were in full possession of her senses. Nowadays, a woman is rarely hanged for infanticide, and it is a mere travesty of justice to pass on her the death sentence, well knowing that it will never be executed. Chapter 27. Evidences of Live Birth the signs of live birth prior to respiration are negative and positive. A negative opinion may be formed when evidence is found of the child's having undergone intrauterine maceration. In this case, the body will be flaccid and flattened, the ilia prominent, the head soft and yielding, the cuticle more or less detached and raised into large bullae, the skin of a red or brownish-red color, the cavities filled with abundant blood serum, the umbilical cord straight and placid. A positive opinion is justified when such injuries are found on the body as could not have been inflicted during birth, and are attended with such hemorrhage as could only have occurred while the blood was circulating. Fractures of the cranium, from accidental falls, precipitate labor, are as a rule stellate, and are situated on the vertex or in the parietal protuberance. The fractures from violence are more extensive, usually depressed, and accompanied by laceration of the scalp. The evidences of live birth after respiration has taken place are usually deduced from the condition of the lungs, though indications are also found in other organs. The diaphragm is more arched before than after respiration, and rises higher in the thorax in the former case than in the latter. The lungs before respiration are situated in the back of the thorax and do not fill the cavity. They are of a dark red-brown color and the consistence of liver, without mottling. After respiration they have expanded and occupied the whole thorax, and closely surround the heart and thymus gland. The portions containing air are of a light brick-red color, and crepitate under the finger. The lungs are mottled from the presence of islands of aerated tissue surrounded by arteries and veins. The weight of the lungs before respiration is about 550 grains. After an hour's respiration, 900 grains. But this test is of little value. The ratio of the weight of the lungs to that of the body, Plochet's test, which is also unreliable, is, before respiration, about 1 to 70, after 1 to 35. Lungs in which respiration has taken place float in water, those in which it has not sink. There are exceptions to this rule, on which, however, is founded the hydrostatic test. As originally performed, this test consisted merely in placing the lungs, with or without the heart, in water, and noticing whether they sank or floated. The test is now modified by squeezing and by cutting the lungs up into pieces. The objections to the test, as originally performed, are 1. That the lungs may sink as the result of disease, for example, double pneumonia. Two that respiration may have been so limited in extent that the lungs may sink, owing to large proportions of the lung tissue remaining unexpanded, atelectasis. 3. Putrefaction may cause the lungs to float when respiration has not taken place. 4. The lungs may have been inflated artificially. Few of these objections apply, however, when the hydrostatic test modified by pressure is employed. To take these objections in detail, it may be stated, 1. 
If the lungs sink from disease, the question of live birth is answered. 2. This objection is too refined for practical use. The lungs sink, there is an absence of any of the signs of suffocation, and the matter ends. The examiner has only to describe the conditions which he finds, and is not required to indulge in conjectures as to the amount of respiration which may or may not have taken place. 3. Gas due to putrefaction collects under the pleural membrane, and can be expelled by pressure, and is not found in the air cells. The lungs decompose late, hence, in a fresh body, putrefaction of the lungs is absent. In a putrefied child, if the lungs sink, it must have been stillborn. The so-called emphysema pulmonum neonatum is simply incipient putrefaction. The lung test simply shows that the child has breathed, but affords no proof that the child has been born alive. The child may have breathed as soon as his head protruded, the rest of his body being in the maternal passage. The child is not born alive until it has been completely expelled, although it is not necessary that the umbilical cord should have been cut. In addition to these tests, live birth may be suspected from the following conditions. The stomach may contain milk or food, recognized by the microscope and by Tromer's test for sugar. The large intestines in stillborn children are filled with meconium. In those born alive, they are usually empty. The bladder is generally emptied soon after birth. The skin is in a condition of exfoliation soon after birth. The organs of circulation undergo the following changes after birth, and the extent to which these changes have advanced will give an idea of how long the child has lived. The ductus arteriosus begins to contract within a few seconds of birth. At the end of a week it is about the size of a crow quill, and about the tenth day is obliterated. The umbilical arteries and vein. The arteries are remarkably diminished in caliber at the end of twenty-four hours and obliterated almost up to the iliacs in three days. The umbilical vein and the ductus venosus are generally completely contracted by the fifth day. The foramen ovale becomes obliterated at extremely variable periods, and may continue open even in the adult. Importance of late has been attracted to the stomach bowel test. If the stomach and duodenum contain air, and consequently float in water, the chances are that the child did not die immediately after birth. This is known as Breslau's second life test, and the lower the air in the intestinal canal, the greater the probability that the child survived birth. The umbilical cord in a newborn child is fresh, firm, round, and bluish in color. Blood is contained in its vessels. The cord may be ruptured by the child falling from the maternal parts in a precipitate labor, and the ruptured parts present ragged ends. It is seldom that a child bleeds to death from untied or cut umbilical cord, and the chances in a torn cord are still more remote. The changes in the cord are as follows. First it shrinks from the ligature towards the navel. This change may begin early, and is rarely delayed beyond thirty hours. The cord becomes flabby and there is distinct inflammatory circle around its insertion. The next change is that of desiccation or mummification. The cord becomes reddish-brown, then flattened and shriveled, then translucent and of the color of parchment, and falls off about the fifth day. The third stage, that of cicatrization, then ensues about the tenth or twelfth day. The bright red rim around the insertion of the cord, with inflammatory thickening and slight purulent secretion, may be considered as evidence of live birth, and the stage at which the separation of the cord by ulcerative process has arrived will point to the probable duration of the time the child has existed after birth. 
There are many fallacies in the application of any of these tests, and the whole subject bristles with difficulties. The medical witness would do well to exhibit a cautious reserve, for if the child dies immediately after birth, it is almost impossible to prove that it was born alive. Chapter 28. Cause of Death in the Fetus The death of the fetus may be due to 1. Immaturity or intrauterine malnutrition or simply from deficient vitality. 2. Complications occurring during and immediately after birth, which may either be unavoidable or inherent in the process of parturition, or may be induced with criminal intent. In the latter category come such accidents as the pressure of tumors in the pelvic passage, of disease of the bones in the mother, or pressure on the cord from malposition of the child during labor, asphyxiation from the funnies being twisted tightly around the neck or limbs, or from the injuries due to falls to the floor in sudden labors. Where the test of the fetus has been induced with criminal intent, it may be due to punctured wounds of the fontanelles, orbits, heart, or spinal marrow, dislocation of the neck, separation of the head from the body, fracture of the bones of the head and face, strangulation, suffocation, drowning in the closet, pan, or privy, or from being thrown into water. Under the head of infanticide by commission, we have injuries of all kinds, under infanticide by omission, neglecting to tie the cord, allowing it to be suffocated by discharges in the bed, neglecting to provide food, clothes, and warmth for the newborn child. End of Section 6. Aids to Forensic Medicine and Toxicology by W. G. Aitchison Robertson. Recording by Jeannie Whitfield from Mississippi, USA.